Welcome to the Stonelaw Church Podcast. I'm Neil Watson. And whether you are a regular worshipper with us, or whether you just listen to this podcast, I pray that the, the words of the message would be a real blessing to you, and that it would bring you closer to God as you experience more of the love of Jesus in your life. Amen. I am found in Jesus. Just say that. Let's, let's just say it. Let's claim it. I am found in Jesus. Amen. So we come back to our sermon series, Gifts, after a, a wee break for a few weeks as we looked at going back to school with God, uh, and equally last week as we looked at the persecuted church and the work of Release International. There are only a couple of things left on Paul's list um, from Galatians 5, where we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and we now come to gentleness. And in our passage uh, that was read out uh, this morning to the Thessalonian church, Paul is recognizing um, and articulating that, that people are precious to God and that they should be treated with gentleness. So we're going to look at uh, this morning. He speaks of these ways of acting that, uh, that weren't a burden to those in Thessalonica, that he didn't want them to be burdened. He also didn't exert any authority that he could have done as an apostle that he could have exerted authority over them, but he didn't. He chose gentleness amongst them. And the Greek word that's used for gentleness in Paul's list of the, the fruit of the Spirit, as close as we can get to it from the Greek into the English, is gentleness or, or a meekness. It really depends on which translation of the Bible you read. I think the King James refers to it as meekness, but the New Revised Standard Version says gentleness. And the closest parallel in terms of meaning, in terms of meaning, is actually tame. The opposite of wild, but tame. That's the meaning and the thrust behind it. Tame or under the control of the owner under control of the owner. So gentleness in this sense that Paul is referring to is that there is this great power, the Holy Spirit, that dwells within us, but that is under the control of the owner, that we allow that to, to take on its place in our life. That the Holy Spirit that dwells within us is this fruit just waiting uh, of gentleness, that we allow God to control it, not ourselves. And as the rain was battering off my, my window uh, points during this week, um, I started to think about how powerful water can be. I mean, it was proper hitting the, the window. Water can be an incredibly powerful thing. It can be a wonderful thing if it's controlled. It can sustain life. There's wonderful things. And the absence of it can do the opposite. 
Throughout the world we see these droughts and we see floods. But when it's controlled... And I was watching a, a documentary that I found quite interesting and it was about dams. And I'm looking at it, I don't think many of you are convinced. Uh, you're looking out there thinking, really? Interesting? But it was. I found, That's the kind of weird stuff that I find interesting. So um, Elizabeth will tell you. It was an amazing feat of, of architecture that it's able to control the flow of the water, that when water needed to get through, they were able to do it, and they were able to do it in a safe way. Equally, they're able to speed up the water, and they're able to create um, hydroelectric power, which we could all do with at the moment. It's amazing how it can, can do all these things when it's controlled. But equally, if we were to turn on the news, and there's been many times over the, over the last decade or so where we've seen the, the impact of, of climate change, where water that's not under control is devastating, where we see tsunamis, floods, just destroying things in its path, nothing to control it. I also saw another program which was about taming horses. This was over in America and it was cowboys you know, down in te uh, Texas. You know, they were proper cowboys and they were, they were breaking in their horses, how to tame these horses. And there appeared to be two very distinct camps in how this was done. The first one was that you whip the horse quite brutally and use the spurs on your boots to break the horse in till it just gives up and does as it's told and goes where it's told. The second one was that you put a bit in its mouth and you love the horse. Someone in Texas, a cowboy who was loving his horse, he didn't whip it. He didn't use his spurs. The horse knew that, that that cowboy loved him and would only lead him to the good things. And it was an amazing thing to see that there was these two very distinct approaches. One that was very unforgiving and, and quite brutal. And another one that was incredibly loving. And ultimately, you got the same well, the same result, but I'm pretty sure that one of those horses was a happier horse than the other. And it knew its owner loved it and only wanted the best for it. And this is obviously the approach that Paul took to the church in Thessalonica. We read in verses 5 through to 8 where he says, As you know, and as God is our witness... We never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others. Though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we were determined to share with you 
not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. Because you've become very dear to us. In order that the Thessalonians would be in the, the right place to be able to receive the, the good news of Jesus that Paul was sharing with them, Paul treated them with gentleness. He recognized that that's where they needed to be. Treated with love and, and gentleness. Now, I've never known anyone, anyone, and if you are that person, please come and speak to me because then I'd like to change what I'm about to say. But I have never met anyone who has been argued or beaten into a relationship with God through Jesus. I've met lots of people who have been loved into a relationship with Jesus. I've never seen anyone be argued or beaten into it. Ever. So if that is you, then please come and speak to me. But I've seen lots of people be encouraged and gently led into that relationship with Jesus. And God chooses to show us what that truly godly gentleness looks like in the person of Jesus. You know, if we look at John chapter 4, where we're able to see Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, we looked at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan as we were looking at back to school with God and how the Samaritans weren't the, um, weren't the most favorably looked upon people um, by the Israelites, the Jewish people. They were seen as the enemy, but the twist is that it's the Samaritan that becomes the hero in that story. But the Samaritans were a people who were treated horrendously and vilified. But here we find Jesus sitting alongside the Samaritan woman at the well. And he reaches beyond prejudice and the injustices that were placed on her people. And he starts to tell her about her life. And to tell her about the kingdom. And basically gently leads her to a place where she understands that he is the Messiah. She's gently led and loved into that relationship with God. She's able to receive it. Not because she was argued into it. Or beaten into it. But because she was gently led into it. And this wasn't a one or done thing either because let's move forward a couple of chapters to chapter 8 where we find the, the woman who is caught in adultery and she is face to face with her accusers, all who have stones in their hands ready to stone her. And Jesus, in his gentleness, gently steps in and st steps in the middle between her and her accusers and reminds them that only those who have no sin can cast a stone. And they all walk away frustrated 
dropping their stones because they know that not one of them hadn't sinned. It's that gentleness of Jesus stepping in, in between them. Without any violence, he just gently reminds them and reaches out gently to the woman. Reaches beyond condemnation. Doesn't condemn her. She gently speaks, speaks to her, urging her and gently leading her to a place of repentance and seeking forgiveness to then receive the love of God in her life. Or what about one of my, my favorites from Luke's gospel in chapter 19, where right before Jesus enters Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, we come across a tax collector named Zacchaeus. I'm immediately drawn to Zacchaeus because not unlike myself, he was vertically challenged. However, the thing where we do differ is he was a man who swindled his own people out of a lot of money just to line his own pocket and to get in with the, the Roman authorities. He was a man who was very much vilified and set apart from his very own people who hated him, despised him. But Jesus chooses a different way to approach him. We read in the story that Zacchaeus climbs high so he can see. He probably climbed high to get away from people too. But Jesus approaches him very, very differently to the way that others do. Jesus says, remember, I can only do things that I see the Father doing. I can only do things that I see the Father doing. And here we find a perfect example of this power that dwells within us, that it can be held under control and used appropriately. Jesus doesn't vilify Zacchaeus. He invites himself for dinner at his house. He says, I'm coming for dinner. Get it ready. Doesn't vilify him, but invites himself for dinner. He says, I'm going to come and eat with you, Zacchaeus. Gets Jesus into all sorts of problems and bother. But how wonderful that Zacchaeus has his life transformed as Jesus gently encounters him. Doesn't treat him the way that the world had been treating him. But does something gentle like, I'm coming for dinner. We're going to sit down and we're going to have a meal together. He's able to be transformed. And he is transformed through that encounter with Jesus. Where he promises to, to give back what he, what he has stolen and have his life completely transformed and turned around. Jesus inserts himself into Zacchaeus' life. Gently. And it brings this repentance and forgiveness, which is wonderful. You see, Jesus came into our world with a, a gentleness 
And I hope you're as shocked as I am because I've already seen things online about Christmas. It's coming. And it will come round quick enough. But in John 3.16, we're able to read that God so loved the world that he gave us his only son so that everyone who believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. And we don't stop there. Let's move into verse 17. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that that world might be saved through him. Zacchaeus experienced that while Jesus was here on earth. And we get to experience it now. That we are not condemned we are saved through our Lord Jesus. That Jesus came in to restore that relationship with God. And he found ways of gently doing that. He, reach, he reaches out past prejudice. The Samaritan woman had received probably all of her life. He reaches past that prejudice. He gently highlights injustice that people turn away from it. He gently inserts himself into Zacchaeus' life and he can gently insert himself into ours too. But all of it brings up these questions for us. You know, how will we treat a, a neighbor who looks differently to us, thinks differently to us? Would we reach past prejudices to reach out to them gently and treat them well? Or do we treat people the way that people treat the, treated the Samaritans? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us? Or how about if a, if a friend or a family member has made some questionable decisions? Someone that we know, they might have acted immorally. How do we treat them? Do we stand with condemnation and with a, a stone in our hand ready to throw it? Or do we understand that we are not perfect? And do we treat them with gentleness and love them like Jesus does? Or how about if we find people like Zacchaeus, people who have acted dishonestly? In our modern world, there are many politicians and church leaders who have been found out to be dishonest. How do we treat them? Do we vilify them in the way that people vilified Zacchaeus? Or do we extend a gentleness to them and lead them to that place of repentance and transformation? And the thing is, none of this stuff is about being a doormat. It's not about thinking that everything is okay. We just have to live with it. Jesus never ever did that. When Jesus got angry, 
That's why I always say that anger isn't a sin. It can lead to sin. But anger is not a sin. If it's a righteous anger. Jesus got angry. And he called out injustice when it needed to be. But equally he was able to show a gentleness. You see the thing is the Holy Spirit that dwells within us is incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. And the gentleness that Paul speaks of in his list um, of fruit of the Spirit is a, a power that we are allowing God to control. That we recognize that God is the owner of it and that we allow him to control it and that we might act in ways that are appropriate. You see, because Paul continues on through verses 9 through to 12 where he speaks of not wanting to be a burden to the people. He says he wants to be able to properly witness to the Thessalonians. So how does he do it? Well, he says that he loved and he worked among them. He says, you remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was towards you, believers. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging you, pleading that you should lead a life worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul wanted to show them how to fully rely on God. He wasn't doing it for riches or for any personal gain, and he makes that clear to them. That even although I'm an apostle and I'm here on a mission from God, I didn't act as a burden to you. We mucked in. You know, we 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 paid for ourselves. You know, as I said uh, last week, you know the Paul made tents. <laughs> he was able to make some money through, through that. He didn't want to be a burden. He wanted to show people how to fully rely on God and receive the good news of, of Jesus. You see, the thing is, on the back of last week, I was reading a testimony of an Indian minister. And the Indian church under so much persecution. They have nowhere else to turn. And, and he said that because of that, it was probably easier for them to rely on God than our brothers and sisters in the West, meaning us. And that is incredibly sad on a whole bunch of levels, but probably true. There are many things in our world that we, we place our, our hopes and our, our dreams in rather than turning to God. And the thing is, sometimes our lives can rattle on without there being anything really scary to, to shake us when we start to rely on our own selves, thinking we've got this. But life can be fragile. 
and not one of us is immune from the, the issues that, that blight our world. But we might be tricked into thinking that we can control everything ourselves and that we don't need God. But then life, as fragile as it is, we can then be hit with that sledgehammer where it just hits us. And our faith might start to get knocked off. We're not really quite sure how to react in those times. And Paul recognized that the Thessalonians needed to be in a good place to be able to receive the good news of Jesus. That they needed to be treated with gentleness. That they might understand and that Paul needed that fruit of gentleness to be flowing from him, that they might see it and look to try and emulate it. Remember that Paul says in verses 7 and 8, that they might have made demands, but we were gentle among you. So deeply did we care for you. We were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves. You're very dear to us. He recognized that it was important to be in amongst the people. He recognized their preciousness to God. That as, they got, as he got alongside them, he understood that. I'm under no illusions that the church in Thessalonica, and just as powerful as Paul's words probably were, probably reacted to him and acted upon his actions just as much as his words. How did he conduct himself? Is he saying one thing, but I'm not really seeing it in his life? Paul understood that. He needed to get alongside them. He showed them the, the love of God through his, his actions, through his, his gentleness with them. didn't see himself as being above them, didn't want to be a burden to them, wanted them to be free to be able to receive the good news of Jesus. He shows them love and compassion. He gently guides them to that place of transformation and a relationship with Jesus. Because the thing is, when we, when we find ourselves in that good place of really feeling Jesus close to us, we become the best versions of ourselves. The versions that God has created us to be. However, when we're in that place of struggle and being far away from God or feeling like we're far away from God, we're very rarely the best version of ourselves. We become this second-rate version of ourselves where we start to mimic the things that, that go on amongst us. We, we forget that we are we're meant to be in the world, but not of it. We're not meant to emulate the worldly ways, but we're meant to emulate Jesus. But when we find ourselves in that place of struggle, we might start to, to mimic the things we see and we hear. We might find it incredibly easy to start criticizing people. We might receive criticism ourselves 
for things we do or things we don't do or things we've said or things we haven't said. And we might find it easy to start criticizing other people as a byproduct of us being criticized. We're called to not move, we're called to move past that, not be like that. It might be that we find it easy to start getting angry with people if we're receiving all this negativity and anger, we might start to place that back out into the world. As I say, we very rarely become the, the best versions of ourselves. And indeed, we're an incredibly poor witness to that good news of Jesus when we're failing to show them who God has created us to be. Paul reminds us that God has given us all the tools we need for the tasks that we face. And one final passage is Philippians chapter 4. And it's a passage I come back to a lot where Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Prayer is a conversation with God. And it is the, the best tool that we have in our arsenal. We have this power that dwells within us in the Holy Spirit. And we have the, the opportunity to converse with the owner of that through prayer. You know, prayer is incredibly important. And that's why I would urge you to, to join us for our prayer meeting on a Wednesday night at 7.30 on Zoom. We pray for our church, our nation, our, our world. Equally, whatever it is that God is placing on our hearts and our minds. And we sit and we listen and wait for God to speak to us. As we seek God's wisdom and, and guidance for us as individuals and for us as a church as we look to become more and more like Jesus each and every day, and that people that live by the Spirit. And that's the challenge that's laid out before each of us this morning. That we would develop this gentleness. That we would come to that understanding, as Paul did, that we have this amazing power that dwells within us in the Holy Spirit. And it's incredibly important that we allow the owner of that incredible power to be in control of it. That we allow God to tame us in the gentle way that God does. And that we would submit to God's wisdom. We would learn his guiding and his prompting through prayer. And I don't know where you are with prayer. You might do it very regularly. You might do it very seldomly. You may have done it in the past, but haven't really 
done it lately. Some of you might have never done it before because you don't know where to start. And we have these little books. There's a few of them out in the meeting place, and I have a couple here. Um, it's called Try Praying. And I, I, I found them excellent little resources. It takes you through a week, and it gets you started. And once you're finished, you can pass it on to someone else and help them connect or reconnect with God in that conversation and speaking to God in prayer. Prayer is incredibly important. I don't know if I've labored that enough, but I'll continue to do it. It's incredibly important that we have that conversation with our Heavenly Father, that we receive His guidance and His prompting, and that peace that surpasses all understanding, that allows us to be that best version of ourselves, which is the one that God has created us to be, that we might be a good witness to the world and that we might testify to that good news of Jesus each and every day. And we start by having conversations with him in prayer. So shall we do that? Let's pray. Loving Father, we are sorry when we fail to hand over that authority to you. But we thank you for this amazing, powerful gift that dwells within us. And this morning we would seek your wisdom and your prompting, your guiding, that we might use it more appropriately. That we wouldn't see people as those for us to exert authority over, but that we would see people as being precious, just as you see them. Lord, would we be more mindful that you wish us to see that handle with care sticker on people? And might that help us in our interactions this week? that we might become those best versions of ourselves as we continue to rely on you. That we might become more gentle in our interactions with everyone. And all this we ask in the precious name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.